Hey everybody and welcome to Healthy Discourse. We wanted to jump on to this quick episode and talk about the um I don't I was going to think of something like super creative to say, but the narrative. <laughs> the narrative, the evil narrative and the claims that um Americans everywhere are eating horse paste and how ridiculous we all must be, which again, like we noted in the last episode, you should not go out and buy horse paste and start taking it. Please don't do that. That's why, that's why part of why there is this narrative um, Mm -hmm. coming about, you know, people being rushed for poison and that kind of thing. But anyway, We are going to talk today about ivermectin and busting some myths about some misconceptions that seem to be everywhere, including coming from a statement from the AMA now. Am I right? Is it the AMA? Who was it? Uh, There's statements from pretty much all major medical agencies at this point about how ivermectin is dangerous and should not be used. Basically, that's the the narrative now. Right. And it's interesting. I, there's a, I've got a little bit of a political commentary on that that I'll mention just a, briefly later, but that's not important to this discussion today. So I've had so many people reach out to me. We are seeing problems with supply now in our country. Um, many people are desperate because they've heard great things about ivermectin, but are having trouble getting their hands on it. And then on the other side, it's being vilified because it's being said that it's, you know, dangerous Mm -hmm. and not approved for human use and that kind of thing. So we're just going to go through a couple of these topics. And I want to start with that one. Is it true that ivermectin is not FDA approved for human consumption, period? So no, that's not true. And I think it's important for our listeners to be thinking critically here because that is what you're going to hear from all mainstream media at this point is that it's only approved for horses mm-hmm. or only approved for animals and that that's, we're using an animal medication mm-hmm. in humans. And, and that's really what you're going to see. So I think it's important for us to kind of pull back the veil a little bit with that narrative right? and, and just really expose the absolute uh, just inaccuracy mm-hmm. and uh, just misleading claims that people are, or that I'd say that news uh, organizations are now uh, just spreading. Mm-hmm. And it's really just, it's a bunch of lies, really, which is which is really right. frustrating. So let's talk about, uh, uh, let's talk about ivermectin and the FDA and human use. Right. So I mean, right. So for, it, it's used for humans and it's used for animals. It's used for both, mm-hmm. uh, both categories. So you can use them in both, both circumstances. But for human use, so the, the, this is what's so crazy, is that for humans, this has been around for for 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know, this medication has been around for a, for a long time. It, it actually was, uh, it actually won the Nobel Prize for medicine in human use, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back in the back in the 90s. No, no, it was in 2005, I think. Oh, 2005, I think you're right, mm-hmm. actually, yeah. So it won the Nobel Prize uh, back in 2005. About, again, the use of it in humans uh, for treating, uh, again, for treating parasitic infections. And so we know that, again, it's a very effective treatment uh, for that. Um, and and because of how again what such a miraculous treatment uh, that it is, it's been used millions and now billions of times in humans. Right. So this is used all the time 
in, in humans, and it is FDA approved for human consumption, again, for parasitic infections. Now, this is something that I think is just food for thought and something that regardless of what you think about all of this is something that we need to consider. This medication is being used for Afghan refugees mm -hmm. coming into our country right now as an anti-parasitic. I guess it's kind of part of the process when refugees come into our country that it's common practice. I've heard that that's even happening at the southern border. That, that I don't think is verified that personally that I know of. Maybe it is. Um, if you know that for sure, I would love to hear from you um, and what your sources are. But the the paradox of that is just fascinating that here in, in the United States, we're not able to use it, even though we've got really great research, which we'll talk about in a moment. But it is okay for refugees entering our country to be used as an antiparasitic. So if it is so deadly and terrible and poisonous, then wouldn't we think that that wouldn't be happening as well? Yeah. If it's not a medication well, that we know has helpful right. properties for certain things, right? Just right. a question to ask and consider. So, yeah. So myth number one is not approved for human consumption. That mm -hmm. is absolutely false. Okay. Uh, and then myth number two. Is I get that, to ask the myths. Okay. I think you've already alluded to this question. So I'll go, <laughs> okay. and, I'll go and finish, Never your, mind. finish your, your myth number two. Okay. Uh, but myth number two is that it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So now that so the narrative not only is it not approved for humans, but that it's really, really dangerous to take, and it's gonna and it's gonna kill you, or, or hurt you to take it. And again, that's that's absolutely false. So we know based on on huge amounts of data, again on millions and now billions of people that have taken this medication, we know the safety profile. We know it clearly uh, how how safe this medication is. And just to give you kind of, you know, because some people, it's hard to wrap your head or heads around kind of the safety mm -hmm. profile of a medication. But just to kind of help put it into perspective is that ivermectin is safer based on uh, just based on, again, the, the numbers. It's safer than aspirin. Right. And it's safer than Tylenol. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if people are saying, well, you know, this is one thing that people are saying, well, go home and take some Tylenol if you have a fever. Mm-hmm. But if you are not going to say, well, go home and take some ivermectin because this may help keep you out of the hospital, right? then again, then you, you just don't understand, you don't understand the safety data mm -hmm. because again, this is an extremely safe medication. Right. Okay. So myth number three, we have no evidence to show that it helps against COVID and symptoms. That's myth number three that you'll also find. And I just want to note, because I think it's a little bit fascinating that on the CDC's website right now, I think it's the CDC. If you look at the page about ivermectin, it has the picture. It has a picture of a horse. So, like, I think again, we've got to ask ourselves, why are they doing this, right? Yeah. Why? I, anyway, I'm not sure if the CDC has that. I think the it's FDA, the FDA. Right. Okay. The, FDA the okay. Well, even that. more so. So the FDA has this approved in human use, but they're now alluding to it that now that it's being used for this reason, all of a sudden we're putting a picture of a horse up there. Right. I'm just confused but anyway well sure let's talk about the data that we have so that's the other thing we hear that there's no there's no data there's no research that points that it helps with covid symptoms in humans yeah uh, so the media has done a really good job about trying to confuse people about the the safety and the uh research behind this medication i was having a conversation with a doctor the other day 
And he said, you know, and I was, we were just talking about ivermectin. He's like, yeah, it sounds like a promising uh, medication, but it hasn't all the research only been done on animals? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it goes back to the whole horse narrative is that it's only proved for, for animals. But no, so the, so the way we look at the data for ivermectin, and this should be the way that you look at data for any intervention, is you look at the strength of the, you look at the, strength of the research. Mm-hmm. So there's different types of uh, research and the different types of studies that are done. And the, the studies that have the highest strength as far as level of evidence are called randomized controlled trials. Mm-hmm. So those are they have the highest level, and those are considered the gold standard for determining the efficacy of a treatment. And so, you know, if there was one randomized controlled trial that showed that ivermectin was effective in uh, either preventing or treating uh, coronavirus, then that is really high level of evidence. Just having one randomized controlled trial, because uh, a lot of the things that are being done now, they're just there's observational data, and I said, well, m- maybe this will help, so let's let's try it. And mm-hmm. even even there, there there brings some some validity to just using observational data. But there are, I think, at most recent count, there are 31 randomized controlled trials on the use of ivermectin for coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So there are a ton of studies on this. I wouldn't say that they're all great studies. I'd say probably out of those, 27 of those studies are really pretty pretty high-level studies that are really well done. Uh, But again, if there was one randomized controlled trial, that would be a high level of evidence that this is effective uh, for treating it. But there are at least 27 mm-hmm. that show that this is a very effective uh, treatment for all level, all kind of stages of coronavirus. Now, is the reason why we aren't quote, using those studies because most of them were not done within the United States? Or, I mean, I'm actually confused by that. Why mm-hmm. are we not paying attention to this data? Why is this not good enough? Whereas some of these really crazy observational studies on other things, masks, for example, Mm. that's like elevated really high, whereas this is like considered garbage. Tell me why. I think there's probably multiple reasons behind it. I I truly believe there's probably some suppression uh, of the data. And so they don't want people to know about how effective this this treatment is because, and and the truth is, it's not hard to find Mm -hmm. uh, this information. It's, It's easily accessible. Uh, I think part of it probably is the location for where it's done. Mm-hmm. A lot of these studies are done outside the United States, and for some people, they consider that to be, you know, I can throw out these studies because mm-hmm. they weren't done here in the United States, which I think is also just uh, very prideful and also you're missing the point because we're trying to find any, anything that works uh, at this point. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then, you know, it's interesting because it, it's – the doctors should be the ones that are doing the research and finding this information. Mm-hmm. But, but we're finding that a lot of times this is just people that are doing their research that come up with all this, all this information. And again, it's not hard to find how well studied and researched this is. But, but doctors really, I think, in some ways are just uh, going along with the narrative mm-hmm. that this is only for animals. And so they don't do their due diligence mm-hmm. and they don't see how well studied this is. And so... I think there's a bit of I think this falls back a little bit on the physicians that they're not doing their research and they're not they're not you know trying to figure out if this is valid or not. They just right. say okay, well the FDA said that this is for for horses and so we shouldn't use it and so I'm going to go off that. Right. But I think we have to be digging deeper and and these questions should be making you should making you think. You know why are these agencies painting it in this weird light? When, when it's really going to, they're myths, and I'd even say they go as far as they're lying about it, mm-hmm. because again, 
that's just not true. Right. Well, let's talk about, you know, it, it's it's interesting, too, that it seems like ever so the people that do say, okay, yes, it's approved for use in humans, but only for antiparasitic. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be talked about all the time, too. So if I'm not incorrect, we physicians write prescriptions mm-hmm. for off-label reasons. So off-label meaning... The FDA has approved this medication for this condition, yeah. but we have good evidence to show that it works for this other condition, so we write a prescription for that. Right. Am I incorrect in saying that that happens all day, every day? That that's just like how medicine generally works? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at, depending on the specialty that you look at, as far as, you know, the percentage of off-label prescriptions that are written depending on specialty, it's somewhere north of 50%. Mm-hmm. For a lot of for a lot of specialties, it's, it's 50% or higher. Uh, the medications that are written are for off-label use, and it's because you know we we can use our our brains and we can use our reasoning to try and figure out if this is going to be helpful for for this or not. Mm-hmm. And we also shouldn't be solely relying on FDA approval for things. Mm-hmm. Again, that kind of tells us that that off-label use of, of medications is part of the practice of medicine. Right. That, that's what we do. Uh, but that's why that's when you do have to go back. You have to do your own research. You have to look see what what level of evidence is is there, and can this potentially be helpful? Mm-hmm. And like I said, in ivermectin's case, the evidence is overwhelming right. that this can be helpful. And I think you know if it seems like in an assessment like that, you're you look at the risks and the benefits, mm-hmm. right? So, do the risks outweigh the benefits or do the benefits outweigh the the risks? And if the benefits are outweighing the risks and there is potential that it would be helpful, then it's something that kind of happens all the time. But it seems like right now everyone is acting like this never happens Mm -hmm. and that this is some like outrageous thing that all of a sudden doctors are prescribing this off-label and that it goes against standard of care, which it really doesn't. Right. No. So, I mean, yeah, it's a good point. So off-label use of medications is used all day, every day by every physician that practices medicine. Mm-hmm. Any physician that argues with that, again, they don't know the data. And they've probably been writing tons of different prescriptions that are for off-label uh, uses that they may not even be aware that there's not an FDA approval for that specific indication. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so you do have to look at the, the risks and the benefits. And that's where I think, again, going back to the narrative, the narrative is that the risks are very high. The benefits are unproven. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the narrative now. Uh, the risks, the truth is, the risks are very, very low. You Would know, you dive into that a little bit more? Like, what are the general risks of ivermectin when taken appropriately, right. not horse paste from the right. farm so, store? Right, so that's important to, to, to clarify is that, yes, anything taken in large enough doses can be toxic. Mm-hmm. So if you go and take, you know, 100 times the dose of any medication, mm-hmm. you're going to have a tough time with that. That's, again, that's why we, we gave a good example of aspirin or Tylenol. If you take 100 times the dose of Tylenol, you're going to have liver failure. Right. You know, you're going you're gonna to have a tough time. You may, you may die from that. Same thing with aspirin. Take 100 times the dose of aspirin, you're going to bleed. Yeah. So, so everything has risks depending on the dose. Mm-hmm. So, but, but that's where it's, the people that are taking it that are just trying to figure it out, I think they're desperate. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to figure out a way to, to protect themselves from coronavirus. Um, and so they're just, they're doing whatever they can. And, and they're doing something I think is, is, is not, is not a good idea. You should not be trying to treat yourself. That's a, that's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, going back to get into the, to the level of risk uh, for this, when it's, when it's prescribed appropriately, 
uh, and it is weight based. So you do you treat it based on on how much the person person weighs. When you treat it based on weight, or and you dose it based on on that, again the risk is is super low. So biggest things that we you know you can run into with ivermectin is it can be a little irritating to the stomach. So if you take it you know if you take it it can be a little irritating can cause uh, some stomach upset. But that's really really about it. You know the FDA talks about coma and death as like that as if that happens all the time, and in appropriate dosing that never happens. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just again that's that's just a ridiculous uh, kind of over exaggeration of the risk. Uh, when again, when you know what you're doing and you have someone that's prescribing it correctly, it's very safe. Right. And and this is not so much a, a myth buster, but we've been listening to a lot of really smart experts that have been studying COVID since the beginning, have been, you know, mm-hmm. researching more on their own and that kind of thing, as well as personal relationships and conversations we've been having too. And it seems like on top of ivermectin, there are a plethora of of drugs and interventions and that kind of thing that could potentially have benefits in helping Mm. with early intervention. But it seems like many of them are becoming harder to find or so incredibly expensive that they become not an option for most people. Um, It seems like early intervention research and studying even has become vilified in many different ways. And I think as the general public, we should be asking a lot of questions as far as why is it that all of these experts that are trying to research and find, you know, there are there are doctors and scientists and PhDs and a lot of them that have all of those together that have been researching and trying to find early interventions from the beginning that get shut down and shut down and their medical boards come after them and this, that, and the other. And I think we need to be asking, these people are trying to save lives. Mm. And with most, let's pretend that this was cancer, for example, we would think that that would be praised and encouraged and how can we help you get this study going and let's put money behind that from a federal level or state, whatever, but instead, it seems that the opposite is happening, and it's it's hurdle after hurdle. Oh, we found this thing. Oh, now all of a sudden, it either costs 10 times more than it should, or it's suddenly unavailable. It You know, I've never been a conspiracy theorist in my life until, I guess, the last year, year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like, as, as a society, we need to be asking those questions versus just taking the the narrative of, well, there's nothing that helps. And the only way out of this is for everyone to get vaccinated. And, you know, and like it or not, we're starting to see a lot of issues with vaccination. I'm not even talking about negative reactions. I'm talking about the fact that they seem to be working less and less the more time that goes on. And that vaccinated immunity is not as strong as natural immunity, which we might do a whole podcast on that at some point mm-hmm. with that, with the information behind that. But it just seems like everything gets twisted tighter and tighter. And there's so much confusion brewing around yeah. that it's not surprising that generally we say, okay, what do we need to do to get out of this? And we're being told one thing over and over and over again. Yeah. So I think it's important for us to, think and consider and ask those questions as far as why is it that these people that have these great intentions that have done this lots of times before are being told no over and over again. 
So is this a myth? I guess kind of. It's a myth of what are the intentions behind this and why is it that we're being told that nothing works? There's Mm -hmm. no options. Go home until you can't breathe. Like, why is that happening when these really smart people with great intentions that have done this before are trying once again to do it and they're getting shut down and vilified and fighting medical boards and you know, they're still fighting because it's worth it to them. But why are we acting like they're the enemy instead of helping to be part of the solution? That was a long monologue. I'm sorry. But. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> now at this point, we're just going to, you know, it's more conversation. I think we've kind of covered the myths uh, pretty well. But I think it comes down to, I think the, the biggest question is really, who do we trust anymore? Hmm. Uh, and I think that a lot of people are starting to really struggle with that uh, because I think before I, I think we used to really believe that you know if people are in position of influence and if they're working for these you know federal organizations that they are they are the most reliable source and we need to just just go off of what they say uh, but I think people are really starting to open their eyes a little bit to this to say you know why 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 are they doing this mm-hmm. you know and why are they painting you know these things in a certain light when it that doesn't match the data it doesn't match the doesn't match what the research is is telling us and so it it is starting to become a bit of a you know a question is about who who can we trust and if we can't trust you know the the powers that be then i would say that the most reliable place to trust are the people that are on the front lines mm-hmm. you know the people that are treating this early and having fantastic results because you know there's a saying that says the proof is in the pudding right and people that are treating this and they're treating it early they are having fantastic results mm-hmm. you know they're 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 doctors that are treating hundreds if not thousands of patients with covid and they are having super low uh, hospitalizations rates super low mortality rates just like we are at our practice you know mm-hmm. our, our our numbers are are fantastic mm-hmm. compared to the average population as far as who you know who goes to the hospital and who who dies from this you know we have a super low numbers compared to compared to the average uh, just average population and so I would say that the experts in this case and this is where it's important for us to look at who is an expert mm-hmm. you know experts in this case are people that are treating and are having good results mm-hmm. those those are the experts and those are the people that we need to be listening to they're not the, you know, they they may not even always agree, you know, with how you treat and specifically, but actually most people that are early, that are treating early, they all generally agree. Mm-hmm. These, these kind of things you need to be doing, including ivermectin. And so I think that's really what qualifies as an expert in this case is the people that are doing this and they're having great results and their voices, I, th- I think, should be magnified mm-hmm. versus, you know, shut down versus censored, deplatformed. You know all those types of things uh, harassed. You know the, that that's it's just a weird. It's it's almost become. You know this is where when we're kind of going off course a little bit, but it's almost become like a religion it has. Uh, for a lot of people. And I was on the car or at ride home. I'm trying to think of a good term that's kind of catchy, but it's kind of like it's like the mask vaxism. You know where it's like if you believe if you don't believe in those two things then you're the enemy mm-hmm. and and it's be, and they believe so strongly like almost like on a spiritual level that those are the answers that anything that's against that or not even against it 
anything that is beyond that or questions is, that right anything beyond that is automatically you know wrong and dangerous mm -hmm. and so I, I think it's important again to, to look at who's treating this what sort of results are they getting you know and if they're getting good results then we should be we should be listening to them right right and I would argue that even even in inpatient ICU you know, there are doctors, um, there are a few doctors that have been very outspoken that have gotten really great results throughout the U.S. And the question still remains, like, why aren't we following their protocols? And, I mean, we have our own questions. I think there, we don't have enough evidence to be able to share that as that we know for sure. But those are questions that should be asked. Like, mm -hmm. why aren't we banding together to do the things that help the most people to number one stay out of the hospital and then once they're there to ensure the best success like mm -hmm. you know science used to be where we continue to test it and challenge it and ask questions and research this and make it better and okay we got this solution but how can we improve it anymore and now it seems like science has become this is the narrative. This is the thing. Don't question it. When you ask questions, when you challenge it, when you try to make it better, you become the enemy. Mm. And it does become so much more like a religion of kind of the scientism kind of thing yeah. versus the scientific method that even somebody like me who took like the least science classes I possibly could, like we still followed that in middle school even, right? Right. right. Um, why are we not doing that anymore? Right. Well, I mean, science at its core and the pursuit of science necessitates questioning. You have to be you have to be asking questions if you're really if you're really pursuing truth and you're pursue, pursuing uh, science. But yeah, it's it's really become you know that's why I'm I agree with you. It's becoming a religion in a lot of ways. Is that it's either this way or not? You know, and, and I think even uh, as believers as Christians, sometimes we have to, we have to be careful about you know, falling into that, into that closed mindedness, you know, if someone questions our belief, you shouldn't get defensive and be like, oh, well, you're going to go to hell, you know, like that type of right. defensiveness. But, but that's kind of the, the reaction that you're getting uh, from people that, that are kind of going with this narrative. If you question it, oh, you're, you're, you're the wrong, you're the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, you are, you're evil, you're bad. Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's kind of that knee jerk reaction that says, you know, if you question my faith, then, then I got to defend, I got to, right. I got to attack you. And we have to be careful again as believers to not to not fall into that same category. And I think, yeah, and I think that goes both ways. You know, I don't think that necessarily these are things where we need to be spewing everything on social media. You know, and and either you're pro or anti this or the other, and therefore you cancel everybody else. And it goes for both sides. That's not going to get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that you know we you guys can imagine the names that we get called on a daily basis especially wiggy me too yeah. but him even more so and you know you're anti you're this you're that you're a fraud like whatever and the name calling doesn't actually help us accomplish anything that's why we call our podcast healthy discourse because that's what we want it to be and if we could have more healthy discourse among these experts among you know medical professionals that look at all different sides of this like we could accomplish so much more but it seems like more and more the division in our society is instead pushing everyone further apart when we can accomplish so much more 
in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so I just want us all to consider that. And, you know, should you share that meme, regardless of what it says? Like, sure, it might be funny, but is that actually helping anything? And this goes for everybody. Um, it's just something that we can really work on and we can stop calling people names and labeling them and putting into groups and instead try to consider that it's okay to have differing beliefs and it's okay to have differing ideas on all of this, but we can accomplish so much more when we try to pull all that together and consider the other, like, what if they're right? What if I'm mm-hmm. wrong? What if this? What if that? And that's why asking these questions and then digging into the data that we have is so incredibly important rather than just sharing what your favorite news site says. Right. No, I think that's that's an important point. And I think... You know, going back to who do you trust and who, what sort of data do you, can you or who do you rely on? I, I think it's hard to trust anything that is painting some or again is, is stating something as truth that is not true. Mm-hmm. You know, again, someone that says that ivermectin is an experimental treatment only approved for animals, probably not a reliable source right. as far as can someone if you're trying to, to seek truth out in this. And I would even argue, and I know we're not talking about vaccines in this, but this, I mean, I've seen so many little like social media posts or whatever to say that, you know, there are no long-term risks of COVID right. vaccines or they're completely safe. Like that word is used a mm. lot, completely safe. And it's, there's no way that we can know that a hundred percent right now. Well, you can't even say that. Right. You can't say it's hundred percent safe. Yeah. That's that, Again, that's another lie. It's, I mean... Are the are the short term side effects pretty minimal overall? But there are people that are really getting been hurt. By there ours. are people that die when so, they get right, the vaccine. So you can't say it's one hundred percent safe or yeah. it's completely safe. You and can't, you can't use absolutes. Yes. Well, again, that's and I think it's just the point is that we can't. You have to be careful about who you trust when they're when they're claiming things as truth, when they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, or at least there's only an element of truth. And I think you have to be also careful with that. Is that you know just just claiming things as absolute truths when there's only elements of truth. That's where people get into trouble. So we, we need to wrap up, but I also want to summarize again here on our on our myths that the, the important things to, to pull out of this. Uh, myth number one, again, this is approved for human consumption. This mm-hmm. is not just for animals. We're talking about ivermectin. Mm-hmm. Uh, myth number two is very safe. Uh, ext- or is the, the myth is, dang- is that it's dangerous, but the truth is that it's a very safe medication, well-established data. And then uh, the myth number th- number three that there isn't any good studies on it. That's also again false. There's there's plenty of large randomized controlled trials mm-hmm. uh, on this medication and, and its effectiveness. So uh, again, if you want to do your da- do your own research, do your own research. You know mm-hmm. we, we're not we're not saying and well and just don't don't take our word for it. Right. You know go and do your own research and determine what is what is real and what is not real. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, if you do your own research, you're going to come to the same conclusion mm-hmm. that this, the, those those are the the truths behind uh, behind that medication, and that's what we should be doing with anybody. We shouldn't take anybody's word as you know gospel. Mm-hmm. We need to be going and making sure that what, what they're saying is actually true. Uh, but we, we do our best to try to to spread the, the truth here and and trying to discover the truth and try to expose some falsehoods here because mm-hmm. again, I think there is a lot of falsehoods that are being presented as truth. And, and that's, that's anti-biblical, you know, mm-hmm. we, it is. That it, that's the way that that's kind of when we talk about moving towards, you know, end times and spirit of the age, you know, good will be called evil and evil will be called good and false will be called true. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what's happening now. 
So uh, it's important to to really explore that to make sure that you are trying to pursue truth. And I say we do, we'll do our best here to try to point people towards that. Right. And finally, it was who to trust. And yeah. I think that's why it is important that we take our health into our own hands many times, you know, sure we have experts and that's important. And, you know, and Wiggy is one of many experts in this. Um, and it, it's important that you don't just listen to one source mm-hmm. or one doctor or one, um, news source or whatever it might be. You know, it is, we do have a responsibility before we start sharing things as truth, especially that we're verifying, and with an open mind, with all of the evidence that we have a, in, available to us, that what we're saying is true. Mm-hmm. And if we're unable to do that, then we need to not call it true. Right. Or just say, we, we don't really know yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's also true when you say, look, I don't, I don't know. And I think people would have appreciated that more mm-hmm. with this whole, with, with the entire time. Like even going back to masks, you know, say if Fauci would have came out and said, hey, we don't know if this is going to work. Mm-hmm. But let, let's try it. You know, right. we're in this together. Let's try. It, you know, we'll, and we'll kind of find out more as we go along. But first, he said it didn't work, mm-hmm. which was a, a you know he was a truth claim. He said mm-hmm. you know we don't need to wear, it. and then he's saying we do need to wear it as another truth claim. Right. You know, and so you can't make these absolute truth claims unless you really know for sure. Right. And so yeah, if you don't know, and, and we'll do our best too, is that we don't if we don't know for sure. Then we'll say, I, I don't know. Right. We're still the, the data is still coming in. We're still trying to figure this piece out. Um, so that's where I also find frustrating people making hundred percent absolute truth claims when you can't you can't actually make that claim. Right. Awesome. Well, there's so many things that we could talk about with this. We thank you guys for continuing to ask questions. Thank you for um, encouraging us to keep going. Um, every time we put one of these out, of course, we get. Lots of encouragement, lots of gratitude, and of course, lots of um, pushback that comes along with it. So uh, we do really appreciate your continued support. And if you've got questions, you can submit those lots of different ways. You can message us. You can leave a voice recording right on Anchor um, as well. So thanks for joining us. Have a great day.